it's your host Sharon and welcome back to Come Along. So today in the studio, I have a very special guest. I've always wanted to talk to a marine biologist. So today we have Dr. Aziz J. Mula in the studio. Say hi. Hi. So I know that you're a marine, a marine biologist, but specifically a coral reef ecologist. Before we get to that, have you always wanted to be a marine biologist? From an early age, yes. From around 15 years old, 16 years old, when I first kind of had a, an interaction with the ocean. Uh, definitely not in the UK. It's way too cold. Oh, okay. uh, but <laughs> when I was in Egypt, the uh, mm -hmm. first time I really saw a coral reef was mind-blowing, life-changing. Um, and I thought, yes, this is exactly what I want to do. Yeah. yeah, and before we start, where are you from and what was the spark for you to step into marine biology? So I'm originally from the UK. I'm from Manchester in the in the north of England, uh, but I did go to university in, in Scotland, to University of Dundee and St Andrews. When I was doing my undergrad and masters, I, I did a lot of work in the Middle East, um, so in the Red Sea, in Egypt and Israel. Um, and that's kind of where I got my passion for coral reefs. It was my mum who took me on a, a little snorkel in Egypt. Along one of the snorkels, we saw part of the reef partially destroyed. And it was by a ship had kind of hit the, hit mm -hmm. the reef uh, while, they were, while they were diving. But there was no kind of consequence there. There was no rules there enforced. And that got me interested in well, should, shouldn't we be the ones protecting these things, you mm. know, instead of destroying? And from then, I kind of tried my best to pursue a career in tropical, tropical reef ecology. You know, corals, um, coral reefs, they only take up like 0.01% of, of the seafloor. Yeah, they, like why they, did you want to study coral? Yeah, it's, I think they're very attractive. You know, they kind of trigger something in everyone when they see a picture of a coral reef of this lush diverse habitat it's kind of that feeling everyone gets and it's something special we all share as well though we see coral reefs and we we get this very unique feeling sense it's, of wonder yeah. yeah it is a sense of wonder and especially if you've seen a coral reef firsthand it's a feeling that you can't really um describe um and i think that's why you know movies like we were just talking about <laughs> finding nemo yeah. and things like this really touch upon and it was a marine biologist who helped design uh, many of my colleagues are super excited like we have a bunch <laughs> of nerds in the office and we're super proud of that and they they finding nemo is is perhaps like one of the most iconic films out there like that has like an animated depiction of marine life mm -hmm. as a marine biologist <laughs> rate from one to ten again this is totally on your personal point of view how good is a depiction in Finding Nemo, for example? Well, I do know the scientist, I know the scientist who helped to kind of design that, Stuart Sandin, I think it was. Um, so I'm going to trust him. I'm going to go for top eight, nine, ten. Mm. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. Um, nothing's perfect. I mean, a lot of yeah. reefs, importantly, don't look like that. They don't mm -hmm. look as pristine, of yeah, course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but would I say diving through a coral reef can look like that? Yes. Uh, wow. for sure yeah. wow my colleague michelle would be super happy listening to this she's like please ask him this like sure <laughs> okay and currently i read that you mostly focus in the indo-pacific yeah so i'm curious what are some traits of this region mm -hmm. that you find is the most fascinating or dire so in terms of fascinating i think the untouched potential that we we don't really use our oceans that well we see the oceans as trade routes we see the oceans as places uh, where we can kind of make money. Um, and yeah, that is true for the part, and we're, we're still not tapping into that fully. Uh, but in the Indo-Pacific, it comes along with cooperation. 
uh, we share the ocean with other peoples around us. And what binds us all in this area of the world is the Crucio, this current, you know, mm-hmm. just going straight through Taiwan, which is already unique in itself, which makes Taiwan a vital part of this region, almost the center of, of the Indo-Pacific um, in terms of coral. It is that kind of trait which really draws me towards the Indo-Pacific mm-hmm. and the diversity that we see here as well. You know, in Taiwan, over 300 coral species, working down to Indonesia, working up to 800 species in Papua New Guinea. It's all on our doorstep um, mm-hmm. and it's all... It's all there for us. In terms of the dire part, it's a, it's a real kind of blanket over the of the world right now, especially in parts of like the Caribbean and Australia, where we do see the reef under a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, and this pressure comes in many forms: natural pressure, anthropogenic pressure, um, and we need to look at it as what can we control what can we influence and the anthropogenic side we definitely have control over Mm. um or we could have control over so we see a lot of these patterns for example in the caribbean australia also happening in taiwan with Mm. recent events um not including typhoons but bleaching events mainly Mm. that's the kind of dire part of it and the consequences of it and was that the main reason that drew you to taiwan it's 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 such a difficult question to answer now because i've been here for like seven years Mm. like as a scientist, we go where things interest us and where things make us more curious. And Taiwan is definitely one of those places. The political aspect has kind of nothing to do with it. It's the natural aspect, which is pretty and yeah, substantially sure, yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has a huge potential um, in terms of its natural landscape. Where else in the world can you find mountains over 3,000 meters you can't in the UK we don't have any our tallest is just over a thousand we're very we're very flat compared to Taiwan um you can find these mountains that go right down to the reef and places around Taiwan that has have some of the most amazing coral reefs I've I've ever seen um so what kind of drew me to Taiwan was that but also um you know my my professor my supervisor um who's a professional in coral reproduction Mm. um and this is a kind of really interesting element of, of ecology to study uh, reproduction. So I'm very interested in, in that. Was that your professor in the UK or the professor uh, for you in Taiwan? In Taiwan. He's, okay. he was, he's actually gone back to Japan. He's Japanese. Um, but here through him, managed to work with a lot of people. So my current uh, supervisor is French um, as well. And we also, you know, some uh, work with a lot of local people as well in Taiwan. Impossible mm. not to. They know the, the place very well, much more than we would, we could ever. Uh, so local people uh, are vital for mm. our research. And could you describe for the listeners what kinds of research do you do of corals? So um, in terms of coral reef ecology, there's so much that can be done in Taiwan. And there is so much that is being done in Taiwan. We're in a very unique situation here where we have pretty much regular disturbance throughout uh, Taiwan in terms of typhoons. We haven't for the last four years, but we've had a lot yeah. this year, which is, I think I'm in the small crowd mm-hmm. cheering typhoons on because they are good for our system. We need them mm-hmm. uh, for sure. So we'll maybe talk about that later. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I focus on recovery and resilience. These two really big words in terms of the natural environment, how something can get back to the state it was after a disturbance. And resilience is this ability for the state to resist a change. So we don't really want it to change that much into something negative. Mm. And these two things we try and measure, we try and record and monitor. And what better place to do that than a place that is constantly disturbed. Mm. And in constantly disturbed, what I mean by typhoons coming through, 
And we think of them as very destructive forces, but a typhoon has the ability to destroy partially, but kind of re-engage the system as well, increase diversity. So there is a kind of choice, a trajectory, what a typhoon can do. And that really interests me. This kind of almost random uh, consequence of a typhoon is super interesting. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my main area. I also do uh, quite a bit on reproduction. So looking at how coral babies choose where mm. to swim. Uh, Taiwan is a unique position because we have the Crucio going straight through. So a lot of our corals we get from the Philippines and a lot of corals in Okinawa, they come from Taiwan. And a lot of corals in Jeju Island in South Korea also come from Taiwan. So we need to look after our corals for them to thrive and the Philippines needs to do the same for us. So we look at how uh, coral babies, they kind of choose between light, pressure and things like this. And this tells us a lot about demography. Demography is mm. a really kind of interesting part of not only corals, but natural world as well as humans about mm -hmm. why things are the way they are and where they are there, there's always a, a reason for this mm. so that's kind of the bulk of, of my research to do with corals yeah it sounds so fascinating already i wish we have i don't know three hours to talk about this but like you touch on a little bit about what you do and i'm curious how much does that happen in the lab versus out in the fields and could you walk us a little bit so I'm primarily a field coral reef ecologist, so I'm a field ecologist. Cool. Um, I I don't mind the lab, but it's not my my place. Okay. So I like to get my hands get dirty. Get out and about. So um, we, we usually go on field trips, I don't know, 10, 10 times a year to various places in Taiwan. So Penghu, Lanyu, Ludao, Kanding, all of these places and different sites around those areas, which I have to say, even in a small island like Lanyu, the south to the north is incredibly different never mind the south of taiwan to the north of taiwan so it's it's a it's a really big kind of field to, to get involved with in terms of um the lab uh, lab work is an important element however mm. field ecologists in terms of corals because we we shouldn't take that much out of the ocean we have to do a lot of our ex experiments on site so we have a really good marine station in Ludau where we can do experiments there. Um, and we try and take as little as possible from the reef to, to collect our data. So a lot of my projects, they're just based in the, in the ocean, which makes it maybe 10 times harder, but 10 mm. times more rewarding. Uh, so I'm not that much of a lab rat. The only time I'm really in the lab is when I'm writing papers. <laughs> Uh, and that's the kind of a lot of people think of it as maybe the boring part mm. maybe it is but it's also the most kind of rewarding part as well mm -hmm. because we get to share our research yeah. and see you know the look on people's faces when we go actually this isn't how it happens this is what's happening and it's wonderful i read that you have worked uh, for a very long time as a scientific mm -hmm. diver yeah. and i think you still do so i think could you tell us a little bit more i think many listeners are very curious about what does scientific diving in and could you walk us through what it is like? Okay, you need a strong back. <laughs> That's the best thing I would say. Um, you, it's a lot of carrying stuff, you know, things that you wouldn't even dream of. We take with us hammers and drills and screwdrivers and nuts and bolts and cages and a whole heap of stuff uh, okay. with us. It entails a lot of discipline as well, teamwork, cooperation. Um, I used to, my, my diving buddy, um, he's just come back from Japan actually. He's, you have to have a really good connection with someone because you, you obviously can't communicate that well underwater. You have to know what each other is thinking um, for safety wise, but also you're very limited by you know oxygen supply so you need a that's where the discipline kind of comes in you want to go in get the job done be as safe as you can come out you need someone that you trust but it entails a lot of training and and like i said that's not only for scientific diving but 
in the gym being healthy mm-hmm. um is a really important part and when i first came to taiwan i was a, a much skinnier guy maybe that's all all the the bouts i've been eating uh, but um i i needed to train my my back because it was it was hurting so it's a lot of physical kind of training and then depending on the weather um it can be really dangerous as well so we need to take that into consideration of what do we do in, a, in an emergency for example um and that's where the kind of cooperation and trust co- comes in i would really push for people especially us islanders uh to get familiar with our ocean through diving and i think taiwan is an extremely good place to to start with this and um, it's become very very popular over the last few years uh but the the safety aspect is extremely important and that's mm-hmm. where scientific diving really focuses on the safety yeah and, and as, a, as a scientist what do you do exactly underwater for say one trip could you give us an image so it depends what project we're focusing on in our lab. Um, we usually share our projects together. Mm-hmm. So if we're focusing on turtles, we'll do a lot of monitoring or we'll do a lot of face ID. That's an example of your work with corals. Like- so, so mine, for example, we do a lot of long-term monitoring. So we go into the reef and we take a look at the health of the reef. We usually place some quadrats down on the reef take some pictures and this way we can identify which corals have grown which have shrunk which have disappeared so image comparison yeah so we just do this annually and we have a long-term monitoring data set over 10 years now and during this time there have been multiple typhoons so we can go from from one place to the other uh, and see what has happened to the reef how has the reef been shaped by these events and this takes time takes a long time to build up a data set uh, but it's super worthwhile um in the end and from this particular data set that we've got in taiwan we've learned that the reefs in taiwan don't follow the same trend as other reefs we think of coral reefs as stochastic as changing all the time as dynamic in taiwan not so much um, oh, why why is it, a good I know this question, is a big question yes, but, yeah that's a big question why um i think they're very robust they're strong however the reef in Lanyu that i focus on personally is dominated by a particular species that is very strong and resilient mm. this is a good and a bad thing it means the reef persists but the diversity is quite low so there's a trade-off there between it but we one, one of the results for example that we found from this long-term monitoring is that over the past 10 years the reef hasn't changed that much actually the ones that arrived early on in 2012 after a big typhoon in 2009 have stayed mm. so it's kind of like a first come first surf basis you know they come up they set up camp and they stay there and but what this has caused is down the line the new babies that come in along the reef they don't have any space oh no so we're not able to see this turnover that we would want in a healthy reef um it's almost akin to you know People are living longer as well, so they're taking up these resources that were once readily available for new popul- the new population. So we, they have to find that resource from somewhere else. Mm. Um, so is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? It's a, that's a very f- philosophical question, yeah. not a scientific one. Uh, but this is the pattern that, that we observe in, 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 in Lanyu, anyway. Then from the example in Lanyu, would you say like diversity is is a good thing to have or it's yeah i think it's not just straight up like yes or no diversity is a fantastic thing to have in any aspect of of life for sure but the question that we need to ask is why aren't we seeing such a diverse reef is it because it's never been diverse or was it diverse before and something's changed something's triggered this change that is really difficult because uh with with taiwan's history the records aren't that long 
So we do have to kind of make some assumption of what it was like before. Taiwan has been a typhoon-prone environment for a long time. So we know that um, these have been affecting Taiwan for for hundreds of thousands of years. But what we focus on in long-term monitoring is what we have seen and what events trigger a kind of reaction in the corals. And what we actually see is typhoons in 2016, for example, mm. when I first arrived in Taiwan, I think the first month there was two super typhoons. They they cause around a 5% decrease in coral cover. It's not that much, really, but they're able really? to... Really? 5% is not... 5% is not... Okay. It's, it, it sounds like a lot, yeah. but their ability to recover that 5% only took two to three years, which is pretty amazing. Uh, the reefs in Lanyu, they become sexually mature after four years. This isn't the same around the world. Some corals take 15 years to become sexually mature. So yeah, what's the average like age that they will get mature? Sexually mature, I'm not too sure on every coral species for, for average age, but for Pacillopora, the one that I focus on, it was in time it's around four years. So four years they become sexually mature. They, yeah, they start to reproduce. They start to kind of give back um you know let their let their babies uh, spawn and, and disperse so that's a really kind of good deal we we've kind of got with that but they need the protection to get to that stage of mm-hmm. of, of reproduction yeah yeah i'm so fascinated by the way that y- you describe corals as you do a lot of recovering work and also y- you 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 said that the resilience of corals and that's something i feel like i've seldom heard about before could you share with us how do scientists in your field define the quote-unquote resilience of coral reefs so a really good way to think about it and it's fantastic we're in taiwan talking about this because i think taiwan for me is probably the most resilient nation probably we have a lot of stuff coming our way all the time um take covid for example Yeah. yeah yeah you know the resilience of it the ability for us to resist this terrible thing was was amazing compared to to other nations uh but we also have a lot of stuff in the way of typhoons you know when a typhoon uh, occurs and a, a mountain road gets destroyed, it's fixed pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's because we constantly endure these natural disasters. Uh, so we, we've got this ability, this this um, experience to how we deal with something. It's the same with corals um, as well. The corals here have had this experience of typhoons for a long time. They are well equipped for it, for sure. What they don't have the experience with is runoff. So runoff is uh, like water from the land that is polluted from farms and industry going into the water. The corals don't have this experience because mm, this yeah, hasn't been... Yeah. yeah, it's alien to them. So, And especially at the rate that we're doing it. So there's a difference here between the type of disturbances and it's not just natural and anthropogenic. Um, we need to look at it as what is actually causing the harm to corals uh, that they aren't used to dealing with. A good example of this from natural is 2020 in the coral bleaching, mass coral bleaching event we we, we were speaking about. Um, mm. The corals were not used to that. Yeah. So they bleached entirely. And it, yeah, so it was... to, to give uh, listeners some context, so there's an article, uh, I think a very well-written article on um, Nautilus magazine. Uh, it's online. So we were chatting about the situation in, in Lanju, in Orchid Island. Yeah, there's a very serious coral bleaching in 2020. Yeah, in 2020, um, basically the temperatures rose and NOAA in America, the agency, they said to Taiwan, you're going to go over the bleaching threshold. Somebody needs to go out and monitor this. So our lab went and monitored it. And yeah, from the plane, when we landed, we could see the the devastation um, along the reef already, even before diving. It was 
coincidental, it was ironic that it was happening at the same time as COVID, because it was basically COVID for corals. They didn't have the resources to deal with what was happening. And this is because corals, are, uh, they, they're, they're a skeleton, um, they're a calcium carbonate skeleton. Where they get their color from is the algae. So they have mm. a symbiotic relationship with the algae and they have a deal, basically. They say, well, if you come and live with me, I'll give you a safe home and a shelter. And if you, if algae, you can photosynthesize, so you give me energy. So they have this nice deal going on and the algae is like, well, as long as you give me a safe home, that's fine. But what happens is when the temperature gets too hot, the algae go, well, you've not given me the safe home that you promised me. This is uncomfortable now, so I'm going to leave you and find somewhere else, maybe in the deeper, maybe in a different site. So what's left behind when the algae leave is the bare skeleton of the coral. And this is the coral in the process of dying. Except the difference is we don't have a vaccine for it. There's nothing that we can do to stop it, mm. especially when it comes to the environment. Oh, yeah, that's a powerful yeah. way to put it. And it's it's sad to see. Uh, we tracked these corals for around five, six years up until that point. And to see that happen now after all this progress, I could say, is devastating, yeah. What are some methods that you, you use to monitor core growth or basically in a more blunt way, like how, how do you know how well they are doing? Mm -hmm. Like what are some indicators? So indicator, um, there's loads of indicators and corals in the cells are indicators of environmental health. Uh, but if we're just focusing on corals itself, uh, we have a really kind of good program going on where we go back to the exact same location on the reef um, every year and we're able to track the corals from 2012 right up until now. So we'll go next year and collect them as well. And what we're able to see is, are the corals as a whole, are they increasing in size? So growth is a major part of ecology. It gives us a good indication of health, but a fantastic indicator of health reproduction. If you can reproduce, you are healthy, especially for a coral. So the, there's a lot of indicators of how healthy a coral reef is. But the main one is eyesight. Oh, looking what? at it yeah looking wow, at it that's simple and important uh, for, wow. for sure so i remember going to the reef in 2018 very mm. distinctively in, in um lanyu just put your head in the water as soon as we jump off the boat and um as soon as i wow. saw it i was like oh, what's and we realized there was a disease outbreak and then the next year we went it was rid of disease it was fine and it was vibrant the Resilient. colors were back it was great and it, you know oh this this reef can bounce back from super typhoons from disease but then we get to bleaching because it's not used to that. It suffers incredibly. And it did suffer in, incredibly in 2020, mm. for sure. I really enjoy this chat. And to wrap up our talk, any professional or personal updates you'd like to share with the listeners? We, we have a number of papers coming out. So new publications, yeah. But for this, we will be publishing some kind of easier to read um, uh, stuff to go along with it. Because I think it's really important, um, especially for Taiwanese people, to understand what they have around them. Uh, what I would say with this is open your eyes a little bit when you're diving, look around you, look at what we have. Mm. Um, yeah, get that's more, really... <laughs> yeah, get more people into... Um, <laughs> it's not all about fish and turtles and fish and turtle ecologists are going to hate me because of that. Uh, but really to, to understand what we're seeing uh, here, we have... Uh, and, and corals, for, first and foremost, they're, they're animals. They're animals. Uh, they're alive. They breathe. They hunt. Uh, I think you just solved like a teaching nightmare for many preschool <laughs> teachers when kids are, are corals animals or or rocks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a it's a common one. It's, it's so they not, are animals. They're yeah. animals. Yeah, okay. they're animals. They are. Yeah, you heard that from from a coral they ecologist. Are, they are animal forests. 
that's what they are. It's a beautiful idea, uh, but it's it's true. That's exactly what they are, uh, and they are beautiful. They're they're wonderful, and that's part of the reason why we should protect them as well. Never mind all the economic benefits they give us. That's a and that's they're a important reason. and they're important yeah. as well. Very important. Yeah. Well, Aziz, thank you so so much for spending time here with us. Yeah, all the best. Thank you very much. Thank you.